I'm Sarah Jane Weaver, editor of The Church News. Welcome to The Church News Podcast. We are taking you on a journey of connection as we discuss news and events of The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints with leaders, members, and others on The Church News team. We end each Church News Podcast by giving our guests the last word and the opportunity to answer the very important question, what do you know now? We hope each of you will also be able to answer the same question and say, I have just been listening to the Church News Podcast, and this is what I know now. Part of the purpose of the primary program of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints is to help children feel their Heavenly Father's love and to learn about His plan of salvation and happiness. In 3 Nephi twenty-two thirteen, we learn that children shall be taught of the Lord, and great shall be the peace of the children. In April General Conference, Latter-day Saints sustained a new primary general presidency who will love and teach children. Today, we are so excited to welcome to the Church News Podcast Primary General President Camille N. Johnson and her counselor, Sister Susan H. Porter and Sister Amy A. Wright. Welcome, ladies, to the Church News Podcast. Thank you. Thank you. What a pleasure. Thank you. I wanted to start today by having each of you tell us just a little something about yourselves so that we can all get to know you a little better. Sister Johnson, can you start? Well, I'm the mother of three wonderful sons uh, who blessed me with three delightful daughters-in-law, and I have three terrific, I call them perfectly perfect, grandchildren with a fourth on the way in September. And they are the light and the life of my world. I'm blessed to have them all live nearby and just feel so thankful that I have their influence in my life. Great. And how about you, Sister Porter? Yes, I was born in Oklahoma and then grew up in a small rural town in western New York. And so never really lived close to a temple or many members of the church till. Well, when I guess when I came to BYU. So we have uh, four children, two girls, two boys, and 12 grandchildren, six boys, six girls. So we're just kind of evened out there. That is very, very convenient that that worked so perfectly. It did. Yeah. And Sister Wright, tell us about you. Thank you. So something that's a little unique to me is I was born into a family of all boys. I actually have a twin brother. So the joke is that my mom had all boys and I just kind of snuck in there. I married into a family of all boys and I am the mother of all boys. So every day I pray for a daughter in love to come along soon, hopefully sooner than later that I can adore and cherish. Well, that is a lot of boys. (laughs) It is, and it's been an absolute joy. So much fun. Well, let's just start. Sister Johnson, I was so touched when at BYU Women's Conference, you shared a little bit about the process in which you selected your counselors. I was hoping you might be willing to share that with us again today. I'd be thrilled to share that experience with you, which was very faith-promoting and proved to be a revelatory experience. I did not know Susan, and I did not know Amy. I was tasked with identifying counselors and submitting names, and with little instructions other than to seek the Lord's direction and help in identifying who should serve. And at a time when you'd want to go to the temple, I was thankful to have a home 
where the spirit could dwell because it was in uh, the privacy of my own home that I sought the Lord's help in identifying counselors. And it's a curious process when the field is wide open. I knew of Susan Porter because she was serving on the Relief Society General Advisory Council. And I knew of Amy because she was serving on the Young Women's General Advisory Council. I knew very little else about them. I happened to listen to a Latter-day Saint Woman podcast where Sister Porter was featured and learned something about her background. And I knew that Amy, Sister Wright, was a cancer survivor. But I knew very little else about them. And yet... Those two names came to me very, very quickly. In fact, Susan's name came to me in the middle of the night, the night after the call was issued. And Amy's name was in my mind immediately as well. And uh, because it's my personality, I played out lots of scenarios and took several different scenarios to the Lord. But it was clear that Sister Porter, my dear friend Susan, and Sister Wright, my dear friend Amy, were to serve with me. And I did relate at BYU Women's Conference the joyous opportunity we had on February 14th to meet for the first time. Elder Cook was kind enough to arrange an opportunity for us to meet after a call had been extended to each of them. And yes, it was a meeting, but it didn't feel that way. It felt very much like a reunion. And as I expressed earlier, my first words were, it's so good to see you again. And that's just how I felt, that I was being reunited and reacquainted with friends that I'd had for the eternities. And so very thankful for the blessing it is to learn from them and serve with them. It has to be daunting to uh, receive a calling like this uh, to a general church leadership position. Uh, Can each of you tell us what that was like and what what you may have experienced uh, after receiving the call, but before you were able to share it with the general church membership? Well, we were invited not to tell anyone. And so my children didn't know, my parents, nobody knew. So it was a surprise. They heard from Elder Oaks, just like the rest of the world, which was kind of a sacred thing. But our boys immediately, I burst into tears, and all of a sudden, all of the counsel I gave while they served their missions of, it's okay to be a beginner, trust in the Lord, you're going to be fine, there are people there to help you succeed. These were all the emails I wrote them on their missions. Those words came back to us. (laughs) So we kind of tell each other that when we head out to a meeting that um, is beyond our comprehension sometimes, and we just remind ourselves, it's okay to be a beginner. And that the Lord loves effort as President Nelson so beautifully testified. We all had a unique experience, but because we were not in the conference center, Mm, we were at home in the presence of family at the time that people were asked to raise their arm to sustain us. And it was a beautiful moment for me to look around that room with the people that I love the most. I had received permission to tell my boys the night before. So they were all there with me. I have my family there with me. And to see them all raise their hands was really quite remarkable. At the time, we could look up at the screen and see the 15 prophets, seers, and revelators with their arms raised as well. It's a little bit um, 
The call is overwhelming. That show of support from the people that mean the most was remarkable. And I love when Sister Johnson said at Women's Conference, we're just ordinary women, but we've been invited to do something extraordinary, and that's only possible because of our Savior, Jesus Christ. And, and you know, again, because of a work situation, Sister Johnson was able to tell her family on Friday, we didn't have anything like that. And so we waited until Saturday. But my youngest son is serving in Africa right now. And he'd been serving in California for seven months and arrived in Africa the 1st of March. Um, He was there just long enough to contract COVID. So he'd been really sick and in quarantine. And he was out in the sticks, out in a very remote village. Well, he didn't have access to internet and there wasn't satellite. So he didn't know that he would be able to watch General Conference, listen to it. And so on Saturday, they weren't able to. And then they needed to be indoors by 6.30 for safety reasons, and then they would study in the evening. And the health ministry had just given them the okay to go back out and start contacting. So they were very busy that day. And he said that evening as they were studying, this is Saturday, he said he had an impression to ask his companion if there was enough data on their phone where he could just listen to one conference address. His first few weeks in Africa had been rough, and he just needed a little bit of home, just a little connection to home. You know, in his heart of heart, he was hoping it was the prophet or someone from the First Presidency, but it really didn't matter who it was. And what he didn't know is that I was home with a prayer in my heart that our boys would all be able to hear at the same time from a prophet, Seer, and Revelator. But I knew with Luke being in Africa that that most likely wouldn't be the case. And around 8 o'clock in Cote Abidjan East time, he had an impression to ask his companion if there was enough data. And so he was able to connect, and what he heard was the statistical report. <laughs> and he was crushed. But almost immediately, a phone call came from one of their friends, someone that they were teaching. So he got off, and his companion addressed the phone call. And then Luke got back on, Elder Wright got back on, and this time they were announcing newly called general authorities. And again, his heart sunk. He just he just wanted some sustenance, even if it was just a couple sentences. And almost immediately the zone leaders called, so he got off again. His companion spoke with the zone leaders, and then he thought, I'm going to get on one last time. And as he got on, they had just started to announce the newly called primary general presidency. So in real time, he heard that his mom was called to serve as the second counselor in the primary general presidency the exact same time his brothers did. And that was just a beautiful reminder to me that when something's important to us, it's also important to the Lord. And it's something that I've held on to, too, to know that he truly is aware of not only us as sisters, but also our families, because this really This calling really directly affects, most specifically and intimately, our families. And that's a comfort to know that they are watched over and guided and protected and safeguarded during our service. How about you, Sister Porter? Can you share your experience? One thing that was very tender is Elder Cook, who called us, and Elder Ringwood, who serves in the priesthood and family department, were very aware of the fact, of course, that Bruce had passed away. And so I was alone in that knowledge where, you know, aware of the fact that Sister Wright and Sister Johnson, over those 
six weeks between when we were called and when we were sustained could counsel together with their spouses. And certainly I took the opportunity to pray and uh, ask, you know, Heavenly Father that Bruce would, of course, be mindful. We have four children. Three of them live in the Northwest, so they are out of state. But one of our daughters lives about 15 minutes away. And so that she could find a substitute and come with me when we were set apart, which was a beautiful experience being sustained on Saturday. And then on Wednesday, Brother and Sister Wright, Brother and Sister Johnson, and uh, Lisa uh, was able to come with me be set apart. The beautiful thing about that is that was the second time we had been in that special room, the first presidency room, because that is the room uh, that we all uh, were able to go to as a family when Bruce was set apart as a member of the 70. And she was a young, uh, barely a beehive. But it was a very sweet experience to be there with her and to be able to meet with the First Presidency and have our their hands laid on our heads to set us apart for this sacred calling. And as Amy said, of course, we're, we're totally overwhelmed, feel inadequate, but when those beautiful words of setting apart and blessing are proclaimed, you know that the our Lord and Savior will be there to sustain you in in all times. Well, and it has been great for all of us to get to know each of you a little better. We did know uh, Sister Porter a little bit. She served for so many years with her late husband, Elder Bruce D. Porter, and also knew a lot about Sister Wright from her service with the Young Women Advisory Council. Sister Porter and Sister Wright, I'd love to hear some of your experiences on those general advisory councils and what you learned from that service. It was a marvelous experience, Amy. Did you just love it? (laughs) It was. It was an incredible experience. And uniquely enough, that's how Sister Porter and I got to know each other, because we were part of a pilot where they invited a member from each women's organization to sit with the Utah Area Leadership Council. And that had never been done before. And Elder Christensen was an incredible mentor and leader, who was constantly seeking out and giving us opportunities to get out front and to lead. And he expected us to come to those councils prepared to contribute. And these dear brethren listened and validated um, everything we said and our perspective and expanded our vision. Yes, absolutely. It was a great opportunity for us all to learn together. And I was thinking when Amy was speaking and saying she didn't have any daughters, I felt like those women on our advisory councils, we were like sisters. Absolutely. Didn't you feel that way? I know I did in, in Relief Society. So I'd say, along with the blessing of being in the Utah Area Council, the two greatest blessings were, one, the, the great sisterhood we developed. And what I learned about counseling together, you know, we would have a problem, maybe a, an issue that the Relief Society presidency had invited us to ponder We'd come together, and each person would have had kind of their own bit of inspiration, but you could see as each sister made a comment, it sent us a little different direction, and you could see that we ended up getting to a place where none of us could have been themselves. And so I loved seeing how revelatory councils can be. 
And then the second real blessing was before COVID, when we got to go out and visit with sisters and meet with Relief Society leaders and women, I just was very humbled at every point at the strength and conviction and testimony of the women of this church. Well, and And Sister Porter, that's something you've seen a lot. You lost your husband in December of 2016, uh, but you served outside of the United States. Yes, and what a blessing that was. Yes, especially in the Europe East area through Eastern Europe, the Baltic states, and Russia, to meet with many, many first-generation sisters uh, who had not had the gospel, you know, throughout their lives, and yet had studied and prayed and were women of faith and courage. It was just a great blessing. And, you know, we get asked often, what exactly does a general advisory council member do? And people are always interested to know that we chair committees, we sit on committees, we serve with working groups, we instruct stake presidencies, bishoprics, ward and stake leaders, And like you said, we speak in devotionals. We've had opportunities to teach and testify at leadership conferences. And so there's a tremendous opportunity here for sisters to serve and to lead. And I think the thing that really resonated with me the most, that this truly is the Lord's work, and it's one work, which is the work of salvation and exaltation. And every single member of this church has a vital role to play in that work, men and women equally, but also children and youth. And that's been a wonderful thing to teach and testify about. And Sister Wright, I didn't think of this earlier, but uh, when you were talking about being surrounded by so many brothers and sons, what did you learn from the young women when you had the opportunity to serve them? That's a really great question. Um, Probably the greatest thing I learned first and foremost It strengthened my testimony of the principle of compensation. If there's ever anything in our lives that we may think is missing or lacking, or we maybe don't even know it's lacking, the Lord always compensates, and it is in such a beautiful, tender way and exactly the way we need it. I didn't grow up with sisters, and um, I don't have daughters, and yet I was blessed with daughters to pray for and to teach and to counsel and ponder about every single day. And the beauty of it is having all sons, I've always prayed for the daughters in the Lord's kingdom because those would be my future daughter-in-laws and the mothers of my grandchildren. And so um, those prayers didn't just begin with this calling, but all of a sudden there was this connection. And, And it's the same like Sister Porter said with the sacred sisterhood that you find in serving in this capacity is there are women in my life that are closer to me than I would imagine even a sister to be. And that's a beautiful thing. And and it goes back to the principle of compensation where the Lord always blesses us with things that we didn't even know we needed sometimes. This beautiful sisterhood of a presidency, the opportunity to become become one, one heart and one mind in this presidency. Well, I'm so glad that that as we looked back, you're also uh, looking forward. And so I'd like to shift a little bit and talk about primary. And we'll start with you, President Johnson. What is one of your favorite things about primary? I think one of my favorite things about primary is that there's a unique and special opportunity there for the children to recognize the influence of the Holy Ghost. And 
I think it's particularly important that as parents and leaders and mentors and stewards of the rising generation, that we help them identify the spirit when it's evident. And primary presents a unique and special opportunity there. Well, let me use a missionary analogy to start with. So when a missionary is teaching a lesson uh, to a friend, there's a special moment when the spirit is felt. And an enlightened missionary always pauses and helps that friend recognize what they're feeling. For some of us, it's warm. For some of us, it's tingly. For some of us, it feels like a warm blanket or a wave. It's different for all of us. But an enlightened missionary recognizes when that moment happens and seizes upon it and uses it as a teaching opportunity. I hope that we're doing the same thing in primary because our precious primary children are having those moments where the spirit is touching them. And they don't have to be eight years old and have the constant companionship of the Holy Ghost in order for that to happen. We know the Spirit manifests itself to our small children. But are we taking advantage of that and seizing upon it and teaching about it to our primary children so that they develop a treasure trove of experiences with the Spirit so that they have a confirmation that the Spirit works through them and teaches and testifies to them? Well, and isn't it beautiful that kids learn in primary a foundation that they take with them all through their lives, but including as missionaries? President Johnson and her husband, Douglas R. Johnson, had an opportunity to live in South America from 2016 to 2019, where they led the Peru Arequipa mission. President Johnson, did I say that right? Is that how you pronounce it's, your mission? It's Arequipa. <laughs> okay. Close. Very close. <laughs> Well, uh, I hope you had the opportunity more than once to go to primary while you were there. Yes, I did. And it was a beautiful experience to look into the eyes of those children and see that they were feeling the same spirit that is, is familiar all over the world. And so much of the time that spirit is felt when the children are communicating with each other and with heaven through music. It's uh, universal. Sister Porter, what's your favorite thing about primary? I think I'd have to build off Sister Johnson, is the the beautiful primary songs can do more than anything else to invite the Spirit. And I think something about when we're singing, and I think studies have been done about music, that our hearts seem to be more open when we're singing, and especially when we're singing about the Savior, and to actually have an opportunity to feel His love for us, to feel that He's aware of us. And that's been one of my favorite callings in the church, the opportunity I had once to be the primary music leader and to feel that spirit testify to the children that what they were singing was was in fact true. Well, and how about you, Sister Wright? One of the things I love most about our primary children is, and children in general is that they come to this earth with believing hearts. They are full of faith, and they are constantly looking for connections with each other. They don't see the differences. They don't see gender. They don't see race. They don't see height. They just want to know what your favorite color is or if you have a dog. They're constantly looking to make connections. And it's no coincidence that our Savior admonishes us to become like little children. And I think that's one of their greatest attributes. And the beauty of primary is it's a place where they can gather together 
and that they can receive that second witness of our Savior, Jesus Christ, as we teach and testify together. And it's also a sacred place for those children who maybe aren't receiving that instruction in home, that we have a responsibility where we can increase our efforts and increase that church support when home support is deficient. Great. Well, I want to shift again. Have each of you just talked to us a little bit about you? Sister Johnson, you're like Sister Wright. You have all sons. Yeah. <laughs> you guys probably had some rough and tumble homes. Um, yeah. <laughs> what I want to know is if each of you had one hour to do anything you wanted to do and you could do anything, what would it be? I tell my kids all the time that if I had an hour, I would take a nap. <laughs> if I needed quiet time, I'd go for a walk. But to be honest with you, when you posed the question, I guess I thought of my entire family on a boat together in the middle of a lake. There's something beautiful about being disconnected and all together and problem solving together on a boat. And I have happy memories of and look forward to future opportunities to have my children and grandchildren together with me on a boat in the middle of a lake. <laughs> How about you, Sister Wright? I'm right up there with Sister Johnson. My first thought was anywhere outdoors with, with our family. We're a family that loves to go biking and kayaking. I have a mother that, but she just taught us all how to play pickleball, and she's actually really, really good. So anything outdoors, but probably my favorite thing is we love to go on walks and just hear about what's going on in their world and process the day. That's a happy place for me. Great. And you, Sister Porter? I think you're going to get three answers. I, I, I immediately thought when you asked Sister Johnson, I thought, well, two things, outdoors and family. And and for the third thing, our family just loves water. So every mm-hmm. year when we plan our reunion, it's either got to be on the coast or by a lake. Something about water that just invites that. If, if I'm alone, I enjoy uh, the piano and uh, I enjoy sewing. Those are just two things that I enjoy myself. Great. And I always like to ask people what their favorite book is. Now, now I know the scriptures are all of your favorite books. We all love the Book of Mormon. But if we, if we take that out of the running, maybe each of you could tell me what your favorite book is. Sarah, we laughed about this beforehand because I said this is like picking your favorite child, which we're unwilling to do. So I can give you genre or I can give you a couple of titles. I'll I'll do both. I love to read about history. And if I can find historical fiction that is close to accurate, I I enjoy that the most. Um, Great Expectations is one of my favorites. And I love To Kill a Mockingbird, which tells an interesting period piece of U.S. history. Those were two that came to mind amongst hundreds. So... To Kill a Mockingbird is my favorite book, too. I oh, like I knew we were kindred spirits, yeah. Sarah. I like to read it every year. Okay, Sister Porter. Yeah, I enjoy biographies. So there would be a lot of biographies. And I also really love the book Late Miserable by Victor Hugo. Just the stunning act of love and mercy by that priest. Every time I read it, I just... I am reminded of the Savior and just see the power that ripples through the next thousand pages <laughs> from that act, single act of love and mercy. This gets me every time. 
That is so true. When you read the unabridged version, you really, truly understand the symbolism of both candlesticks. Wow. Okay, Sister Wright. So I'm going to take a little different approach. I, too, love historical fiction. Um, I love The Emancipator's Wife. Um, I love To Kill a Mockingbird. But probably one of my favorite, I'm going to choose a children's literature book, if that's okay. I am a huge children's literature enthusiast. My mother-in-law owned a children's bookstore in Bountiful for years and years, so I have quite the collection. But one of my favorite was actually a book that was given to me as a gift by my young women advisor, but this was not that long ago. So she was a librarian, and she would teach a lesson every Sunday, and obviously it was principle-based. And then at the end, the last five minutes of class, she would read us a children's book that directly related to that principle. And so I started associating children's books with choice and accountability, good works, integrity. And years later, when I was called to serve as a young woman advisor, I wrote this advisor and thanked her for the influence that she had in my life. And she sent me a book called I'm in Charge of Celebrations. And it's about a young girl who lives in the desert, and it's in poetry form. And people always ask her, aren't you lonely in the desert? And she said, no. Why would I be lonely? I'm in charge of celebrations. And then the whole book goes through all these things to celebrate and the beauties that she finds in the desert. And I just love that book because it reminds me of many of the lessons that this dear advisor, Kathy Gamble, had taught me years ago. But also it's a principle I've tried to apply throughout my life that we truly can find goodness and beauty and light and joy in the common, in the ordinary, in the mundane, as well as in the miraculous. And that's because of our great creator, Jesus Christ, and especially even in our trials and our defeats. He is there, and we can still find joy and beauty and things worthy of celebration. Well, and Sister Wright, I uh, think we'll have you comment on the next question because it leads right into that. I think all of us look back on life, and we like to, to think and ponder about the great times we have. But we also we also go through hard times or times of trial and struggle. And are you comfortable sharing one of those and, and what you learned from that experience? Yes, absolutely. Um, I think that's the beauty of mortality is everybody has a story. And some stories are more obvious than others. But this really is just a big problem-solving opportunity every single day. We're just constantly solving problems and hopefully inviting the Savior to be part of that problem-solving process. But probably one of the most obvious or well-known struggles that I've had or trials in my life was in 2015 and 2016, I battled stage 4 ovarian cancer. And I was not symptomatic. I went in for a routine, very non-invasive procedure. And initially, I was told that I had four months to live before they were able to find the origin of my cancer. And then when I found out it was stage four ovarian cancer and I realized I had a 17% chance of survival, I thought, wow, I've won the lottery. This is great. There's hope. But, you know, it was really interesting uh, leaving the doctor's office that day with my husband and driving home in silence. And my thoughts immediately went to our boys. How do we tell them what's this going to look like for our family? And all of those concerns, our oldest son was serving a mission in Italy at the time. And then our youngest were still in, in high school and junior high. And I just kept feeling the sinking feeling as we were driving down this hill. And I just kept sinking deeper and deeper. And in my mind, I asked Heavenly Father, am I going to die? And I had a very distinct impression that everything was going to be okay. And so then I asked in my mind, well, am I going to live? 
and I received the exact same impression, and I thought that was really interesting that the Spirit would speak peace to my heart whether I lived or died. And then almost immediately, from head to toe, I had this overwhelming feeling of relief and comfort, knowing that we didn't have to go home and teach our children how to pray. They already knew how to seek guidance and direction and comfort from the Lord that we weren't going to be able to give them. I didn't need to go home and teach them about the scriptures. The scriptures were already a daily part of our family study, and that was a place that they would find a lot of peace as well. We didn't need to go home and teach them about the plan of salvation or the doctrines of salvation or anything about the gospel or what happens when we die or what happens to our family. Every family home evening lesson, every gospel doctrine class attended, every ordinance or covenant made and kept or participated in, every temple worship, every prayer offered, every day of fasting mattered in that moment. It was too late to put oil in our lamps. We needed every single drop and we needed it right now. And I was so grateful for that comfort and that vision and that understanding because it was something that I held on to for the next just over a year of battling a very aggressive cancer with very aggressive chemotherapy and multiple surgeries. And probably besides our testimony and our love for the Savior and our reliance on Him, the thing that helped the most is not only drawing from the atonement of Jesus Christ, but also following in His footsteps. And when we turned inward as a family, especially myself, the world got really dark and dreary. But when we turned outward and looked for ways in which we could serve and lift, even when our capacity was limited, there was light and there was joy. And just like this dear children's book, there was cause for celebration. Great. Thank you so much. Sister Porter, I was so touched by your testimony at Women's Conference uh, when you talked about how uh, the Lord never leaves us comfortless. He will always give us comfort and strength in times of need. Um, Can you talk about how you came to know that? Yes. You know, early in our marriage, we moved to Munich, uh, Germany. Uh, My husband accepted a job over there, and we went over there with a two-year-old and a 10-month-old. And then while we were there, our daughter was born. And so we had three children under the age of three. And one month after Lisa was born, Bruce was called to be the branch president. We attended a serviceman's branch. We were not in the service, but that's the branch we were assigned to. So he went to work all day and then was often serving in his calling in the evening. So we were living in a foreign country, of course, and the street and the area that we lived in, every single home was surrounded by a six-foot-high cinder block wall. So I had these three little kids, three and under, with no real way to connect to people because I would take them for walks in the stroller, but I would never see anyone. And our branch members, most of them lived, you know, on the military base, which was about 20 20 minutes away. And so I started to feel very lonely. I began feeling like I was not doing anything to progress or to contribute in the church, in my community. And 
one day, a sister called me and asked me if I would substitute in her Relief Society class to teach it. And I remember thinking, well, I don't really have anything to offer, but I accepted. And so I prepared for the lesson, and I went to teach, and I taught the lesson. And after the lesson, a few of the sisters and I were standing there talking, and into my mind came a very clear impression. The Lord loves a plodder, P-L-O-D-D-E-R. And I knew in that moment that he was aware of me. You know, I may have had these tiny kids, two in diapers, foreign country. I, I, you know, I was not progressing or contributing in any remarkable way, but I knew he was aware of me. And I know for many of our sisters and brothers around the world, we go through times of, you know, like Sister Wright was saying, health challenges, we, you know, be young moms, whatever it is. And we can be sure that the Lord is mindful of us. And if we just keep moving at whatever pace we can, he loves us. And that was a great experience for me. Great. Thank you for sharing that. President Johnson, do you have an experience you're willing to share? I'll tell you about a beautiful struggle. That's a phrase uh, that some of my sister missionaries came up with, and it describes perfectly my experience as a mission leader. When we were called to go to Arequipa in 2016, I did not know any Spanish. And that posed a particular beautiful struggle for me because I really love people. I'm genuinely interested in people, love to get to know them, and was so anxious to get to know my missionaries. And yet words failed me because I knew very little Spanish And about 70% of our missionaries were Latino and knew very little English. The beautiful struggle was that over the course of those three years, and with the help of heaven, my Spanish improved, and my missionaries improved in their English. So oftentimes I'd say to them, I'm going to speak Spanish to you, and you correct my Spanish, and you speak English back to me and I'll correct your English, and we learned together. And they were patient with the mistakes I made. But the beauty of all of this was, and the beautiful struggle was, the Lord really stepped in and filled in the gaps. The things that were most important for me to communicate to my missionaries and to the members that we love so dearly in that part of the world were my love for them and my testimony of the Book of Mormon, And I was able to communicate those things with the help of the Spirit. Sometimes words failed me, but the Spirit made up the difference. And that was a beautiful struggle for me. Great. Thank you. I know each of you are serving in primary, but you're also a member of the Relief Society. And I'm interested in how participation in this worldwide sisterhood has blessed your life. President Johnson, we can start right with you. Well, The way I see it, it's an eternal round. His path is straight, and his course is one eternal round. And we teach our primary children of the love that their Heavenly Father has for them, of their divine purpose and their divine nature, and that the Savior is there as their perfect example and guide, and that the Holy Ghost will attend them. We hope we send them to their young women's experience converted to the notion of, of those divine principles, where they flourish, 
and then become Relief Society sisters who have the opportunity then to teach and nurture and love the children in one eternal round. And so I see us as all participating in, as Amy referred to earlier, it's one great work. And I'm thankful to be part of that eternal round. We, as a new primary presidency, we have been embraced by uh, the Relief Society presidency, Sister Bingham, Sister Eubank, and Sister Alberto, and also the Young Women's Presidency, Sister Corden, Sister Craig, and Sister Craven. They have welcomed us, answered our questions, and it's really a lovely experience, the nine of us working together, counseling together with respect to the needs of the children, the young women, and the women not just of the church, but of the world. I view our responsibility as a worldwide responsibility, of course, to the members of the church, but to the world population at large. Great. Sister Porter? I would second everything Sister Johnson said. I love being a member of Relief Society, and it's blessed me from the time I was a little girl, watching my mother and the spirit of service that she had. My mother was a great example. She served in the church. She served in the community. Uh, She was always learning, and I learned so much uh, from her example. And then early in our marriage, when we were first married, my first visiting teacher was a young mother. Her husband was also a student. She had four or five little kids. They had no car, and she would walk or ride her bike over to our little student apartment at quite quite a sacrifice and sit on my couch and bring me the spirit of a covenant woman of God, and I've never forgotten that. And then through the years, just having the opportunity to to learn from women, again, all over the world, but Relief Society women, daughters of God, who'd made covenants and were keeping them. And so I, I'm just so grateful to be a member of the Relief Society. And how about you, Sister Wright? Thank you so much for asking this question, because sometimes we forget that all women are members of the Relief Society organization, irrespective of where we're serving in the Lord's kingdom in the moment. And it really is one of the greatest organizations in the world, because there is no other organization in the world where women have more opportunities, not only to serve in presidencies or as presidents, but also to counsel, to teach, to testify, to expound scripture, to minister, to seek revelation, and then plan and act and execute. It really is a remarkable leadership privilege to be part of this great organization, to not just minister, but to lead. And the beauty of this sacred and glorious sisterhood is that it unites women from all over the world in a common cause, which is the cause of Christ. And when we, as women, stand shoulder to shoulder with righteous men, we can move mountains. Or at the very least, we have the ability to climb them together. And I love that about being part of the Lord's work and part of such a sacred organization. That leads us right into our to our final question. We have a tradition at the Church News Podcast where we always end with the same final question, and we give our guests the last word. And the question is, what do you know now? 
So today, I hope that each of you can can answer this question and share with us what you know now after a few weeks of serving in the general primary presidency, and what you know now after a lifetime of service in the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter Day Saints. And Sister Wright, why don't we start with you? So the last couple of weeks, we have had a crash course in, as Sister Porter so beautifully mentioned the other day, learning church. We have sat on every executive council. We have met with every department, manager, head, committee, organization, working group. And one of the things that really that has really impressed upon my heart and my mind is that there is purpose in every single one of our lives. And as we meet incredible men and women like you, we are continuously astonished as how the Lord has guided and directed the paths of their feet to serve in very specific, tailor-made, specialized capacities to do things that can help move the work of salvation and exaltation forward in such a glorious, magnificent way in preparation for the second coming. And we sit in some of these councils, and we're just astonished as you see the fingerprints of the Lord in every single person's life. And I really feel like whether you have been called of the Lord to serve in this capacity and actually called and set apart, or if your calling came through the whisperings of the Spirit to pursue a particular education or vocation or to apply for a specific position, that every single person who is serving or working here at church headquarters was absolutely guided and directed by the Spirit. And that is just a beautiful, beautiful thing to behold. And I testify that this truly is Christ's work and His glory and it's not ours. And that's, that's really a comforting thing to know. And he is perfectly capable of doing his own work, but he invites us to be part of his work so that we can have opportunities to stretch and grow. And I think that's such a powerful manifestation of how much our Heavenly Father and our Savior Jesus Christ love us. I testify that if we are obedient and faithful and strive to keep our covenants to the very best of our ability— Repenting every day. My husband always says, if we're not repenting every day, then we need to repent for not repenting. That we truly can become partakers of all of our Heavenly Father's promised blessings. I can't even begin to imagine the definition of all. But this I do know, that the greatest of which is eternal life and exaltation, which is the sacred privilege to return to live with God the Father and Jesus Christ again as eternal families and most specifically to live the type of life they live. This is my hope. This is my daily prayer. This is my testimony. In the sacred and holy name of our truest and most constant friend, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Sister Porter? I've been so grateful the last few weeks to be able to view the ongoing restoration and the manifestations of how Heavenly Father is hastening His work in its time, as it says in the Doctrine and Covenants. And I think, as Sister Wright said, the blessing it's been to sit on these committees, to learn of the great work that has been 
going forth to bring forth the great vision of our Heavenly Father and His Son Jesus to prepare for the return of the Savior and to see consecrated men and women acting under the direction of our prophet to bring forth the wonderful changes that we all are experiencing and to see those who have worked tirelessly for years to bring the name of our Savior to a world that needs it so much and to help each of us deepen our testimony and our our connection to our Savior. I've also felt and thought so much about President Nelson's talk in 2015, a plea to my sisters, where he wants us to bring our, our voices. That word has come to me in the last two weeks. Every committee we are in, they want to hear the voices of women. And so we, I think the three of us feel that responsibility to seek inspiration. I have a sure witness that God our Heavenly Father lives. He loves each one of us. He's aware of us. He's aware of our trials. He knows of our sorrows. And he wants to bless each one of us. He sent his son to suffer for our sins and to know what it's like to live on earth. And we can receive the Spirit to guide us and help us in every time of need. I do testify that this is the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, and we are led by a prophet in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. And President Johnson, what do you know now? Consistent with what Amy and Susan have said, I knew this before because I'd heard it from the pulpit, that the First Presidency and the Quorum of the Twelve are interested in women's voices, interested in their counsel. And I've learned that for certain, having participated now for the last several weeks. I thought I might slip in on those first few meetings and quietly take my place and observe. And I was kindly invited to the revelatory experience that was happening in those councils and asked to share my input, my thoughts, my concerns not just as a primary president, but as a woman and as an individual with life's experiences. I've been asked to draw upon all of my experiences in expressing my thoughts, and I am thankful to know that to be true. I believed it, I think, before when I heard it from the pulpit. I've seen it happen, and I felt a sincere interest on the part of others in knowing of the concerns of women and mothers in the gospel. I am so thankful for my testimony of divine nature, of divine potential, of the opportunity to return to a heavenly home with my parents and my family. I am certain that that is possible because of our Savior, Jesus Christ, for his willingness to step forward and accept what is a challenge that's hard for us to even comprehend, but willing to allow us to have that free agency and for him to make up, to make all the difference so that justice could be satisfied, 
so that we can return to our heavenly homes. I'm just so thankful to know of our Savior, to know of his commitment to us all the way to the finish line for his mercy, for his willingness to keep working with us in our imperfect state and to provide us with the help we need. I testify that the Holy Ghost provides us with comfort and is the manner by which we feel the love of our Heavenly Father and of our Savior. I am also certain that the Book of Mormon was written by ancient prophets, translated by Joseph Smith, with heaven's help, but written for our day. I can testify from my own personal experience that the Book of Mormon has the power to do just what President Nelson has promised, and that is the power to console us and comfort us and provide us with answers that we need to our daily questions to the challenges of each and every day. I am so thankful for the opportunity to serve at this time with a mighty prophet, President Russell M. Nelson. I testify that he communicates with our Savior Jesus Christ, who is the head of this church, and that he is a prophet for our time is my testimony in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. You have been listening to the Church News Podcast. I'm your host, Church News Editor Sarah Jane Weaver. I hope you have learned something today about the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints by peering with me through the Church News window. Please remember to subscribe to this podcast. And if you enjoyed the messages we shared today, please make sure you share the podcast with others. Thanks to our guests, to my producer, Kellyanne Halverson, and others who make this podcast possible. Join us every week for a new episode. Find us on your favorite podcasting channel or with other news and updates about the church on thechurchnews.com. Music